what I focus on is the idea that each of us is unique because each of us is built from the random chance of their early experience. Welcome to Satori Prime's Have It All podcast, where you get your fix of personal development without any of that fluff. A podcast dedicated to the unending quest of self-discovery and remembrance. You'll discover new breakthrough thinking and feeling technology that will cause shifts in all areas of your life, your finances, your body, relationships, and most importantly, your mind. You'll uncover your truest self and for probably the first time in your life, feel 100% worthy of having it all. It's time to stop talking and fantasizing about your dream life and start living it. So get ready to have your mind expanded in the best way possible. Now, fair warning, if you implement what you learn here, your life will never, ever be the same. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. Hello, my friends. So I'm going to keep with the theme of sharing with you some of the amazing results that people have been producing with our guided meditation. Uh, so this one comes from our dear friend, Hao Sang. And he wrote, just did guys guided, he actually spelled it G-U-Y-D-E-D, haha, bad pun meditation for the first time today. Wow. Absolutely phenomenal. Pretty sure my soul went all the way to Jupiter and around the entire galaxy before coming back to this body again. Also helped me pinpoint exact places in my body. I was feeling certain sensations around different fears, insecurities, etc. Rather than just a blanket, it's happening in my gut for three different things. And I felt a few of those individual pieces get filled up and made whole again. I will happily do this daily for the next 30 days and maybe even beyond that. Hao Tseng. Thank you, Hao, for the beautiful acknowledgement and testimonial. And one of the things I do want to share, and this is what kind of Hao pointed to, is a lot of times we'll start a practice, but we don't, we're not consistent with it. And so if I could recommend anything, if you want like true transformation, you know, between now and basically the end of the year, see if you can take on doing this meditation practice for the next 30 days and just watch as every single time you're going to be able to go in and heal different aspects that are alive and present for you in that moment. So if you want to take that on again, head over to satoriprime.com forward slash meditate, satoriprime.com forward slash meditate and grab your free copy of this meditation today and begin your 30-day challenge. How? thanks my friend, and for everybody else, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back. Personal Involvement Without the Fluff coming at you. Uh, we have an amazing guest. We were just talking before we uh, started recording and I always pre-interview people and we had a great conversation and uh, this woman, Loretta Bruning, who's with us here today, uh, actually shared a book with me because I love to read about what people are up to. And I was just sharing offline like how beautiful this book was and how many things I learned even after having read so many books in that genre before. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. So I get to ask her more questions and to introduce you guys to her as well. So first and foremost, Loretta, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, yeah, why don't you share a little bit about yourself, your background, what you're passionate about, how you kind of came to this, and then we can dive in from there. Sure. So I was a professor of management for 25 years. And 
as the years went by, I started kind of feeling like my students were not very motivated. <laughs> and then as my own children grew, I observed that they didn't seem especially motivated. So I tried to discuss this with my colleagues, and I was shocked to learn that their young people in their lives were not very motivated either. <laughs> and I was disappointed by the model of motivation that we had learned in social science. And I, I call it nicism, which is that if you're nice to everybody, then they'll just do whatever you think is the right thing. So it doesn't work. So that's how I got interested in studying the real substance of motivation, which is obviously chemical. And I stumbled on one little study, one monkey study, another monkey study, and I was just mesmerized by this. And I, you often hear people say, oh, the latest studies, you know, but this is not, this information has been around for like 100 years. Um, the behavioral part of it's been around for 100 years. The chemical part of it has been around since the 80s. So I quit my day job <laughs> and started focusing on this. So say, say a little bit more about what this is, because when you say chemical, people are like, I don't know what she's talking about. So, so say a little bit more about what, what the research is and what you've been bringing forth. Sure. So I started focusing on what I call the happy chemicals, which is dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. And every one of them has a specific job to do, which is different. They reward you for behaviors that promote survival in the state of nature, even though you're not consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to do this because it's going to promote survival and that's going to make me feel good. And uh, it's so easy to see how this works in animals because animals cannot like mask their feelings. Mm -hmm. And then when you see the patterns in animals, you can't avoid the conclusion that this is exactly what we're all driving ourselves crazy over. Yeah. So um, I think most people are probably familiar because we've spoken about it here on the show before, but as a refresher, just to give them kind of like a little bit of a rundown, if you could just kind of walk through, you know, serotonin and oxytocin, dopamine, endorphin, like what, what they actually uh, promote for us sure. as, as the animal side of us. Uh, sure. And then I want to dive into like specific ones, but just give people like a blanket so we kind of know what we're talking about here. Okay. So what I focus on is very different from what you probably have heard elsewhere because we have so much of what I call the disease model, which suggests that we should all just have endless happy chemicals while sitting on the couch for no reason. <laughs> and if you don't, you have a disease and the yep. doctor can fix it, which is so not reality. And then the other model, this sort of new age idea that we should pursue ecstasy or something, which mm -hmm. is not realistic because each of these chemicals has a downside, which is why they're not meant to be on all the time. So dopamine is your brain signal that a reward is at hand that you're just about to meet a need. So the simplest example would be a monkey wakes up in the morning, they're hungry, they have no refrigerator, so they have to look for food. When they find food, their hunger is relieved and that feels good. But dopamine makes them feel good before they even find the food because it's the expectation. Like when you see some food in the distance and you say, 
oh, that's going to be good and I can get it. So that's what we're always looking for is something. And how does a monkey know that the fruit is going to be good? It's not from intellectual knowledge of nutrition. It's because it felt good before. Mm. So that's what we're always chasing after is stuff that stimulated our dopamine before and we have the expectation that we can reach it. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the the crux of this book. And by the way, the book's title is Habits of a Happy Brain. Um, and we'll this is the kind of crux of what we're talking about today. So I love that your study kind of started with motivation with kids. Uh, and when we did our pre-interview, I told you like for me, uh, one of the biggest passions is learning about child development and and being a better parent and things like that. And I kind of read the book a little bit through that lens, even though that's not what the design of the book was. I just want you to know, I'm reading it like, okay, how can I show this to my kids in a simple way that they can do it? And one of the things that your book talks a lot about is kind of reprogramming. So what Loretta just described with the dopamine, right? So it's like in an animal, this all happens to us when we're very, very young. So we're sad. Mom gives you a piece of chocolate. That mm. chocolate obviously mm. fires all these amazing mm. chemicals in your brain. And now it starts to create this pathway mm. in your brain yes. that says, very oversimplifying. So if you yeah. at any point yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to jump in, please do. Um, <laughs> but basically it's like, when I'm sad, chocolate makes me happy. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. And, 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 and we, whatever you got to do to get the chocolate is part of that circuit. Exactly. And in one child, it may be X and another child, it may be the opposite of it. Yes. So one of the things that really stood out to me was you, you talked about serotonin a lot and specifically this serotonin drops. And I'd love to kind of start the conversation there because to me, that was fascinating. And I really... Like, I'd love, as you're describing it, maybe to just interject some stuff about kids. Because for me, I'm like yeah. reading that. I'm like, okay, how do I help my children with this as we're going, as they're going through life so that they actually have tools to realize like, oh, this is what's happening. Here's what I can do. Things like that. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just going to leave yeah. it there and let you okay. share your genius. Thank you. Well, I would love to because this is the topic of my next book is zooming in on the serotonin piece. Because perfect, <laughs> that's what's so challenging. Once you have a good life where all your other needs are met, the, the sort of just to be very crass about it, the power need is something that when your other needs are met, then you long for. And then that sort of seems like a crisis, even though you really have a good life. Mm -hmm. So serotonin is released in the animal world when an animal feels like it's in the one-up position. And this is very hard for people to accept because we have this romantic view of animals being all lovey-dovey and cooperative. But um, before we had those new lenses, humans have known for millennia that animals are not nice to each other. <laughs> and in evolutionary biology, it has become understood that the, the individual who asserts successfully gets more of the resources it takes to spread their genes. And our brain was produced by them because their genes were more reproduced. 
So serotonin rewards you with a good feeling when you do, when you assert and prevail. And it's not aggression, but I would call it calm confidence. So if you and I are both monkeys and there's a bunch of bananas between us, and I tell myself, if I reach for a monkey, he's going to bite me. I'm sorry, if I reach for a banana, he's bigger than me and he's going to bite me. So I'm better off without this banana. And that's how many monkeys get wired for reasons that I have a whole reading list, intermammalinstitute.org slash reading list. So you know that it's not just me saying that. But in the 80s, it was understood that the serotonin piece, that it feels good. Duh, who didn't know this? That, That it feels good to compare myself to you and say, I'm strong enough to reach for that banana. I'm going to get that banana. And then maybe once I get the banana, I'm like, I'm not really hungry. You want this banana? <laughs> so that's a simple introduction. Yeah. Now, oh, you asked about serotonin. the drops. So here's a mind-blowing thing is when you get this good feeling, it's metabolized and gone in a few minutes, which is why people chase it. And we chase it in whatever way turned it on when we were young because the serotonin bursts of your youth built the neural pathways that turn it on more easily and tell you when to expect it. So for example, one child maybe shined in athletics and another one avoided athletics. So whatever got you the spotlight and the applause when you were young, you're looking for that. And because that's what your pathways lead you to. So here, here's where I kind of like sat with this. There's all this chemical stuff firing in our, on our brain. We have zero, basically, from, from my understanding, and maybe it's not, but very, very little control about what's happening. It's not like I'm sitting there and going, all right, now, serotonin, I need, you know, 10, C, whatever. Like, it's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's happening. Is there a way when... Because a lot of your book talks about kind of like the reprogramming and you give some really, you know, uh, everything was like 45 day challenges that you kind of take, opportunities Mm -hmm. that you can kind of take on to reprogram different parts, to reprogram different experiences with dopamine and oxytocin and things like that. Are there things that we can do when we're very young to actually control how we create these neural patterns? Before, you know, waking up at 40 and going, oh, crap, like, I need to reprogram all this stuff. Is there something <laughs> that we can do as we're raising our kids to actually create these pathways? Yeah, sure. Um, so the first thing is your pathways get created when you're young, period. So my book explains that and we could talk more about it if you want. So your kids' pathways, you're, are de- your kids are developing the pathways for a lifetime, you know, no matter what you do. So I don't want to stress people out too much about this, but I'll give you the example that I used in the introduction of my new book, uh, Tame Your Anxiety. So when when my kids were young, I wanted them to be happy, as we all do, and we want to do everything for them, as we all do, and we especially want to do what we felt we were missing out on. Mm. And as a result, I may have done too much, for example. And many of us do too much, for example. So, and in the modern world, 
as much as all the negativity you hear about the modern world, in fact, we end up having more availability for our kids than an old-fashioned mother who, let's say, had 10 kids and had to carry water and milk the cow and didn't have butter unless you churned it. And so when you have this little child and their ball rolls away, you want to get that ball for them to show them how supported they should feel. And that you're really robbing them of that feeling of, I can get that ball myself. And the kid's not going to get that ball themselves if you get it for them too quickly. One thing they may do is go, eh, eh, eh. and they, even that, if you reward that too quickly, they don't have to talk because they get the whole world revolves around them when they go, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> so I was challenged. I challenged myself when my, uh, my granddaughter was born that I was not going to get the ball for her. And sure enough, like she was only three months old. She was a beached whale. And yet, you know, her something went away and it was so close that she could have easily gotten it herself. And my husband went to get it for her. And I just touched his hand and I said, give her a second, you know, and sure enough, she got it. Yeah, it's we had that conversation um, during the pre-interview also. I cannot express to you how in my face <laughs> that has been since that moment. And I'm watching myself. I'm watching my wife. So my kids, just to give you some context, are uh, eight and six and a half. Okay. So they're self-sufficient. They're smart. They're, you know, independent, et cetera. And it'll just, here's an example, right? Mom. My son, mom, can I get some water? And I'm like, I'm like, you have legs. You can reach the cup. You can reach the sink. Like you want water, go, go get water. And my wife will sit there and she's like, yeah, go get water. And then no joke. He'll just sit there and she'll just get up like five seconds later and go get him water. I'm like, he's never <laughs> going to learn to get water every time you're yeah. going to get water. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. The mammal brain is always keeping score. It's always comparing its strength to others and who's in the one-up position. Mm -hmm. So if your child losing the one-up position, when they get the water, they would die of thirst before they would lose the one-up position. Mm -hmm. So you have to give, give them a way to save face. And so it can't be like, well, go get it yourself, because then that's like, I don't know, somehow they're losing the privilege. And that's scary because the older a kid gets, the more they realize the inevitability of growing up and mm -hmm. having to rely on themselves. And mommy can't make friends for you. Mommy can't do a job interview for you, etc. So. The bottom line is when they say, can I have some water? If you could put a positive spin on it, yeah, you can have some water. And then that's it. That's the end of the conversation because they know what it takes to get water. So, and it's like, aren't we lucky that all we have to do is, you know. That I love that. So that that's really smart. So the, 
one of the biggest factors as, as you were just describing it is this whole one up. So really like when we're in life, we're constantly trying to keep that one up position. So anything that demotes yes. us feeling like we just got knocked down a peg, quote unquote, yeah. that creates that anxiety and tension and, and bad feelings. Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Okay. I want to I wanna shift a little bit because there's a couple of other things in the book that were just wow. So in, in having done a lot of mindset work and personal development, you know, I think most people understand it's like what you focus on is what expands. We've all heard that line. And like there was something that I heard in the book that I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that kind of spun this whole thing on, on its head for me. And that was uh, this part that the cortex sends more signals to our eyes than our eyes actually to our brain. So I'd love for you to just share about that. Cause I, I read this and I was like, well, no, duh. <laughs> like this yeah. thing expands. It was just like, Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, every minute of every day, our senses are flooded with more information than we could possibly process. So we have to decide which information to focus on. So if you imagine that a gazelle has like jillions of detail around it, lots of sounds, and they zoom in on sounds that are relevant to their survival, like let's say a lion, and they tune out sounds that are not relevant to their survival. So that's the job our brain evolved to do is to zoom in on information that is relevant. And you're not deciding what's relevant intellectually. It's simply that whatever felt good or bad in your past connected neurons. And now when the electricity flows into your senses and sent up to your brain, if it goes into those old pathways paved by your past happy and unhappy moments, it flows so effortlessly that you don't have to do any work. So... And it's not that you're lazy, but it's efficient. You can process it. And that's how you could drive while carrying on a conversation because you efficiently use your old neural pathways. Yeah. So that's what we're designed to do. And that's why we all sort of repeat ourselves. Whatever made us feel good in the past, we chase it. Whatever made us feel bad in the past, we feel stalked by it even though you would never in a million years say that you're choosing that information, it really feels like it's surrounding you. And then you're overlooking all the other information because it literally has nowhere to flow because it's so hard for electricity to flow into neurons that haven't already been paved by past experience, which I explain on a molecular level in the book. Yeah, which is why, you know, if, if you've ever struggled to quote unquote break a habit, it is very, very difficult. It's it's the difference like so our brain, the way it gets wired, it just is wired for efficiency because it doesn't want to burn as much quote quote unquote fuel. And so And the way it defines efficiency is exactly. whatever worked before, whatever helped you before must be good. Whatever hurt you before must be bad. And in the animal world, that's true. Yeah. The, the, the key to that is that this patterns and, and pathways are designed when you are four, five, six, seven, eight years old and people are living 
when they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, using the same exact pathways. And it's like, just because your brain decided that that was good when you were five, doesn't mean that that's good when you're 45. And that's the, the part that's really amazing. So it's like, you know, there's this super highway that just conducts this energy. And we didn't even talk about myelin and like how it just keeps mm. like creating that mm. pathway clearer and clearer and clearer. So that, yeah, you say, okay, so I, every time I have a bad feeling, I reach for a cigarette or alcohol mm. or something. And I think you, you mentioned in the book, you know, someone gets really stressed at work or something happens or they're, they're um, I think the example you use is like someone has no confidence there at a bar and then they smoke a cigarette and then they go and they pick up that girl. And it's like all, all of a sudden the brain goes, oh, cigarette equals confidence. And that's it. Like now that that's the cigarette program. equals girl. Yeah. Even, even worse. <laughs> even, more. <laughs> even worse. And then, you know, you try to break that, that habit. And so now that bad feeling of like, oh, I'm, I'm alone. Right. So I need a girl brain mm-hmm. is like, well, we smoked a cigarette. So why don't you go get a girl, you know, like smoke a cigarette, we'll go get another girl, but it doesn't work that way. And then the, the creating that new pattern of saying, okay, you know what? I'm not going to go to that crutch. I'm not going to use that cigarette is because it's new. It feels clunky and it, it it will feel arduous. And, And I think just knowing that that's a chemical thing there's nothing wrong with you you're not broken it's not like yes you you can't do this it's just you're fighting a chemical reaction in the brain and that's really what's what's stopping or not stopping slowing down the process and a lot of the times we say like i can't do that it's not that you can't it's just in the moment it's difficult because the other thing is so much easier but let's jump to the happy ending is that with repetition you can build that new pathway and that's, that's the point, is if you feed your brain new experiences repeatedly, a new pathway will build, and it will not be a super highway the way you built when you were young, but it will still be enough to flow. And by the way, instead of saying a girl, we could just say social acceptance. So whatever is the social acceptance that is relevant to you at this moment, that you can get it in a new way if you feed yourself that, oh, I got social acceptance. And like I said, I use the example, make eye contact with the person giving you change at the supermarket. Mm. As just a simple example of like a, a split second that just feeds your inner mammal to say, oh, this is an interaction that's working out. You know, I'm accepting them. They're accepting me. It's cool. Just to say, it can be cool. It doesn't have to be drama all the time. <laughs> um, and that, the, the chemical that you're talking about right now, like with, with social acceptance is kind of where I wanted to go. Cause that's oxytocin, right? Yeah. Okay. Is there, it, before we jump into that, is there just, why don't you give people like a little bit of background on oxytocin and then I'll, I'll ask my question. Sure. So oxytocin is what make, it creates social trust. And social trust is what makes mammals different from reptiles because reptiles never trust other mammals. Uh, I mean, other reptiles, they are complete loners except for the 10 seconds of the act of mating during which they tolerate proximity of another mammal. And they do that by releasing oxytocin for 10 seconds. Now mammals are born into a surge of oxytocin because 
it actually triggers birth contractions and lactation. And it's mind blowing to know that oxytocin also triggers the egg laying muscle in reptiles. So this is all a very ancient pattern that has developed in complexity as, as a species gets more complex. So once mammals are born, they have trust between mother and child, which reptiles don't have. But two things, one is that oxytocin is metabolized in a few minutes. So you have to stimulate more. So when you touch and cuddle or lick a baby, that stimulates oxytocin. And so hopefully children build some foundational layer of trust. But in order to survive, every mammal must gradually transition from dependence on its parents to interdependence with its peers because its parents are going to die. Its mother's going to die. So that's the challenge of being a mammal is building attachment or trust with some other group. And in the modern world, most people have rejected the concept of a tribe that you're like stuck with every minute of every day. And we prefer to choose who we're with in each moment. But as a result, we're often left feeling like the herd walked off without me and I'm going to be eaten by a predator because that's what happens to an isolated mammal. So that's why we're always trying to stimulate our oxytocin and we long for this nice group bonds. And yet, as soon as we have them, we complain about them. I was just thinking as you were sharing about the reptiles that they tolerate for 10 seconds, I was just imagining, imagine humans, instead of saying, I love you, it's like, I tolerate you. (laughs) I oxytocin you. (laughs) Yeah, I oxytocin you. So I want to share a little bit of my experience, and I'm I'm just kind of curious where and how oxytocin plays into this or not. And I, I just as I was reading this, it was it was interesting to me. So one of the biggest things that I've been working on of late is creating a feeling of safety and well being in my system, uh, and I do that through subtle body energy work and things like that. But really, like when something hits the system, cortisol, which we'll, we could talk about later, but like mm-hmm. that bad feeling of, you know, for example, like abandonment, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm alone. No one's here to help me. There's no support, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. Then that creates this wave of I'm not safe. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in danger. Right. Mm-hmm. Now oxytocin is the thing that would come in at some point and actually create that yes. feeling of belonging, acceptance, safety. Yes. Right. My question is this, I've been doing a lot of this work. I mean, I, I work with someone and we have these sessions where we're like in connection and I'm receiving support and resource and noticing that like I can be sad and someone still be there. I can be angry and still someone be there, right? Which is, I, I think for most humans, it's like we got programmed very young when I'm sad, I lose connection or I lose love or when I'm being bad, right? Like all these things. So a lot of the stuff that I've been doing of late is I kind of call it parts work, but it's like noticing the part inside that is feeling abandoned, right? Because like the external world is feeding our internal world and it's just making, it's like hitting certain things and those certain things make us feel bad. So I've just been going in and going, okay, 
that little part right now is needing my love and support and my, my acceptance is wanting attention from me. Like we all strive to get this attention mm-hmm. from everybody else, but it's like, I can go in and give it the love and support that it's wanting mm-hmm. regardless of what's happening out here. Mm-hmm. My question is this, is that a hack? I don't know a hack, but is that a process in which to actually create, you know, when people talk about self love, I was like, are we actually producing oxytocin internally by doing this work, which that's what's giving me that feeling of support and love and ultimately safety? Good question. And I would just start with yes. Awesome. <laughs> the short answer is yes. Uh, this concept of parts work, I learned that in NLP, mm-hmm. and you probably are taking that, I gather. Yep. And I call it a circuit because each circuit is built from a real experience. So let's say when you were young and you learned that if you act in a certain way that you're going to lose connection and you really want connection, but so why are you acting that way? Well, because there's something you want about that too. So it's a conflict that I want this, but I also want that. And the circuit you learned when you were young was that you can't have both. Mm. And that's the frustration that you're going around. So you could build a new circuit that says, I can have both, but here's yeah this idea of giving it to yourself. Now, on some level, you say, giving it to yourself, that sounds like BS. So let's go into that. Yeah, please. So first, when you feel social pain, you're giving that to yourself. You know, you feel like you've been rejected, disappointed, abandoned, betrayed, and you're sure that other people are doing it to you, but really you're doing it to yourself with the circuit that you built from some early past experience. So an example um, would be, let's say, if you learn that if you say a certain thing that you're going to get disapproval from your teachers or your your parents or your friends. And let's just say your friends, you know, it's like, oh, my friends will all abandon me if I, if they know that I think X, Y, or Z. Mm. So how can I have the authenticity of giving myself the right to my own perceptions and still feel that I have friends? So, you know, there's the popular advice, which is, well, they're not really your friends, if you (laughs) you know. Um, So, and and I did enough of that in my life, but then you can end up with, like, you just end up cutting everybody off because nobody ever reaches that standard of the quote-unquote real friend. Mm -hmm. So, what I focus on is the idea that each of us is unique because each of us is built from the random chance of their early experience. So I'm never going to meet a person that agrees with me on everything and supports me on everything. And so I don't need to look for that and I don't need to hold it against other people. So the fact is that each moment I'm making a decision, do I want to spend more time with this person or do I want to do one of the million other things I could be doing? And I'm lucky that I have that choice. And if I always choose to not let people in, then I'm going to start feeling like a 
a threatened mammal, isolated. But if I let in anybody who just trots into my path, then I'm going to start feeling like I have no control over my own life, which is a dopamine thing of like my freedom to seek greener pasture and seek rewards rather than just being open to whoever comes into my pasture and mm -hmm. eats my grass. So I'm always making the decision of where I focus my attention. Yeah. And that's hard because what can I focus on that is going to relieve my cortisol and also give me dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin? That's not realistic. So what I have to say to myself is, what do I really need most in this moment? And many people are always focusing on one or the other. So the purpose of my book is to sort of broaden up and realize that there are a lot of different ways to feel good. And instead of relying on one, you can build new circuits to have more sort of tools in your toolkit. Isn't it funny how certain things just find us instead of us finding them? I keep hearing these stories from you guys about how you find our podcast. And I have to tell you, it makes me so happy because at the end of the day, we're all in this journey together. And I believe that we bump into each other at just the perfect moments in life. You know what I mean? Well, if you feel that way and you're looking for a home to find more amazing seekers, just like yourself, you're looking to explore new depths of reality and who you are in this world. You're looking to heal feel self-expressed, empowered, and full of love, passion, and peace, then come check us out at The Collective. Because you'll laugh, you'll cry, and most of all, you'll grow and expand like never before. You see, Guy and I host two live calls every single month for this amazing community we've called The Collective. And it'll cost you less than a dollar a day. In fact, just $19 per month to be exact. So again, if you love this podcast and are getting massive value just from this, and just imagine for a second what being on a call live with Guy and I every two weeks will do for you in your life. You can come check it out, stay for as little as you want or as long as you like. There are no long-term commitments necessary. Just your commitment to yourself to learn and grow. So if you want to join us at The Collective, just head over to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and start your journey. So, so to expand on that, like... It is possible to do this work mm -hmm. solo, like without, and I think this is where kind of people get stuck, right? It's like, when my life turns out this way, when my husband or wife do this, when my kids behave that way, like everything is determined on the external world to make it's our always internal their world fault. feel good. Yeah. It's always their fault that you think if they always did what I wanted, then I'd be happy all the time. And it's not true. And if you want to prove that to yourself, read the tabloids and you find like people who seem to have everything and are still not happy. So, and oh, you know what? In NLP, they call that future pacing. Yep. If you can imagine yourself having this perfect thing, you're not going to be happy with that once you get it for reasons, you know, we can go on into. So that's the why you really have to take responsibility for the quirkiness of our mammal brain. Yeah. So here's, here's the, the next piece that I want to cover. Cause this to me, I, I believe is kind of like the crux of why people feel 
broken in essence, you know, and I don't, I say that in, with this understanding, like no one's broken. I'm just saying that like humans feel broken and we all go chasing these highs in different places. And that from what I understood basically just comes from cortisol, like that, that feeling of, um, you know, you use the word annihilated, which I just absolutely loved. It's like, you know, you, you didn't get a promotion and it's not like, Oh, I didn't get a promotion. It's like, I'm going to die because I didn't get this promotion. And we, we just have this, uh, elaborate nature of doing things. So did I, I think I used annihilated in the science of positivity. Did you read that one? Science of positivity. I believe I did. Okay, good. Yeah, Yeah. Who is that by? Me. Oh, Science of Positivity. That's, that's, yes, that's, that's, the, that's the one that I told you I, I read before. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So, in you know, like, I want to talk a little bit about cortisol and its effect on humans to give us a little more, if there's any intention, is just to give people a little more freedom. And then I have some, like, more specific questions. But, yeah, I'd love for you to share about that. Sure. So um, there's a little more of that in the science of positivity, which is about why negativity is natural. And then there's more of this in my new book, Tame Your Anxiety. Awesome. So cortisol exists because it promotes survival. So if you imagine that you're an animal and you're enjoying your meal and then you smell a predator, so you would really rather keep eating because you're hungry. You don't want to run. So in order to survive, cortisol has to make you feel so bad that you would rather stop eating and run because relieving cortisol feels better than getting the reward, the dopamine of the food. Hmm. And so that's the start you could say is like gratitude for cortisol because it's there for a reason. Now, Everyone in the modern world says, yeah, but I'm not being chased by a predator. So we have to understand that cortisol equals disappointment. And I'll give you a great example. Let's say you're a lion and you're chasing a gazelle and then the gazelle gets away. That's disappointment. Now, you are going to starve to death if you don't get uh, something to eat. So once you're chasing this gazelle, You don't want to give up after all that effort. But if you keep chasing the gazelle that got away, you're going to die of starvation. Mm -hmm. So cortisol gives you a bad feeling about that particular gazelle. And so you stop. And now you feel like crap, but you're still better off than if you were still chasing a lost cause. Hmm. But that's a survival skill is learning to decide in a healthy way where to invest your energy rather than to chase a lost cause. And that's the, that's the cortisol of our realistic daily life. So in real life, I would like everything I do to succeed the first time, but in fact, it doesn't. And my biggest, I can't believe how upset I get when like somebody says, you know, go to this website and enter your information and you can participate in our whatever. And I go to the website and I spend five minutes, 10 minutes, a half hour, and I can't make the website work. And I get so upset. And I say, how can I get upset over something so stupid? 
yeah. is because I sat down and I said, well, I'm going to knock this out in 10 minutes. And it's the disappointment that I didn't knock it out in 10 minutes, which kills my whole worldview and my whole confidence in my survival skills. So that's where we are a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what leads me into the next question. Have you ever read the book uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I love it. Yeah. So, so that kind of like this whole thing that you just shared really kind of like clicked in for me with that, which is yes. again, like back to the kids, right? So watching little kids learn to read or yes. do math for the first time. It's funny because it's like not all adults, but I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this and like, you know, most people that we know, we're all able to read. Mm-mm-mm. None of us remember exactly. the process of learning to read. Exactly, exactly. And I say the same thing about learning to talk. So my granddaughter's learning to talk now. And when she goes, she really thinks she's talking. Yeah. You know? So how much effort goes into learning to talk? What I explain to people is your native language is a set of myelinated neural pathways that you built with great effort, but you don't remember that effort. So learning to read is the same. Now, the bottom line is that when you learn a foreign language in adulthood or you learn to do math in adulthood, then you're aware of the effort and you're like, whoa, this stinks. (laughs) So you don't realize how much effort it took when you were young. Yeah. And then just noticing like where, and this is, you know, Carol just did a great explanation of this. It's like where people are excited by the challenge. Mm. of learning something Mm. and where people are uh, driven away from, like they'll just stick to what they're good at. And I can just kind of see it like one of my, so my son is all about like, he loves learning, loves challenging himself, et cetera. My daughter, on the other hand, she's more creative. So she like loves anything that's has no structure. But like, so for example, she loves to dance, right? Mm-hmm. we took her to dance class because she was like doing the pirouettes and ballerina, like all stuff on her own. We took her to an actual dance class to learn. She didn't want to learn. Right. She went to like one class, two classes. She's like, I'm done with this. I'm like, what? So anytime there's instruction, what I'm starting to notice is like this sense of like, I'm not getting it or I'm not getting yes, it yes, 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 or yes. whatever it might be. Yes, 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 deterrent. yes. And I think yes. this is a deterrent for not just kids. Like this is, you know, I coach people through yes. starting businesses that this is what they're, they're happening as well. So is there something you can just maybe shed some light on? Cause like, I'm assuming that's just cortisol saying like your, it, it, it brings up that disappointment or I'm not good at this, et cetera, through that yes. chemical response. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I 100% agree with you. So I don't agree with the modern approach, which is, oh, let them do whatever they want. And they're just more creative and all this whole BS now about creativity. It's really a crutch when you cannot tolerate any structure. Mm. You cannot do anything methodically because anything worthwhile, you cannot just make it up as you go along and you're really hampering yourself if you get upset whenever you try to do something in small pieces because small steps is the way anything is achieved. So 
what your daughter needs to experience is success in small steps. Mm. So I'll give you um, a simple example. Uh, it's it's sort of too late maybe for this now. I don't know. But let's say that this, I'm just thinking of a hypothetical example. Okay, this ballet class she went to that she doesn't like, and boy, I've been there. I totally went through <laughs> this. And I, I, I totally was the, you know, let them do it their own way until I have lived with the consequences. <laughs> so let's just say hypothetically that this ballet school has an open house. And in that open house, your daughter gets to go around with her Isadora Duncan thing, do her own thing. But during one 60-second encounter, she gets to be alone with the teacher and like sort of receives, you know, if the teacher says, that's really good, but what if you do it this way? And she does it and then gets positive feedback for that. Mm. That will open her willingness to next time do it for like, you know, maybe it's only 10 seconds the first time of saying, oh, that's good. But what if you also did that? And then they get a reward. And the next time, 20 seconds, you know, like really, really small steps of being willing to learn from others and then getting a positive reinforcement for that rather than this sort of endlessly being controlled and judged. You don't want them to see instruction as being endlessly controlled and judged, but to have a a good feeling about learning from others. Yeah, that's actually really, really great advice. And it's it's interesting. We did this uh, little project with them uh, about creating airplanes. Like my daughter came home. She's like, I want to learn how to make uh, paper airplanes. Mm. So went online, found like, you know, the basic one. And then there was five other ones. So she at first was super, like super upset about not being able to fold it the right way with the first one. Then she got it. And I was like, cool, let's, do you want to try a different one? She's like, no, I don't want to try a different one. My son's like, yeah, let's, let's build all of them. And she's like, no. And she ends up building like 12 of the same one instead. Um, But what I like about that and paper airplanes is a really great example because paper airplanes is right. Like it's not about building the plane. It's Mm -hmm. fold this paper this way that's it like that's the only step and it's just if if it was she folded it and then she got that response of like great job that would kind of create that circuit and the next one and the next one and but also she wants to differentiate herself from her brother Mm. so if if he wants to build all of them she's not going to want to be him Got it. So if she's going to build 12 but maybe she'll do something with the 12 that he didn't do So she needs to differentiate herself. And the fact that she was willing to learn to build that one, that's great. How did she overcome that initial resistance and tolerate that frustration? Yeah. So so really, this is kind of what happens. And what's super interesting is because that's exactly how I grew up. Like I would, I had this circuitry to pick things up very, very quickly and get good at things in a very, very accelerated form. So like Mm. if it was me and a group of kids learning to do this, I would get to the whatever result Mm. faster than 95% of Mm. people, Mm. right? Mm. And that's what gave me juice. It was like, Mm. I'm Mm. the one up thing that you're talking about. Like I ran ahead of the pack. Now, anytime that I would start something, 
and I wasn't at that 95 percentile, whatever that was, right, for my yes, brain. Yes, yes, yes. I was like, I'm not interested. That was the line. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, <laughs> no, you know, it's like, I'm just not interested. I'll find something else to do. And so I see so much of myself in her because there's so many things that like come like very easily where my son can just sit and learn and like go through that process of just grinding and sucking. I mean, mm-hmm. he, when he was young, he also kind of had it, but like he shifted out of it fast with her. She's, she's a little more stuck in it, but because I, I grew up that way, I can kind of like take a step back. I'll share stories with her about my frustration things like that, that happened. Mm-hmm. And then we do, we tend to like, I, I just have her just pause mm. and breathe and allow for frustration to be there. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's not like we're not trying to get past frustration. It's like, Hey, like first, anytime you learn anything, and this yeah. is, this goes for children yeah. and adults. Yeah. Every time we learn something new, we were met with frustration. Like even yeah. when you were a kid, you just don't remember, but like, yeah, yeah. You know, reading yeah. is frustrating. Learning math is frustrating. And just- you know what else? You could even divide it into small steps. Like if yes. there are if there are ten steps to folding this plane, you could say, okay, and anything fun you were going to do anyway, say, okay, we'll do three steps, then have our break and do this whatever. Then we'll do three more steps, and then have you know to just break things into manageable chunks so you don't feel like you're drowning. But yeah. also the other thing which I feel sad about we project our own pain onto oh, yeah. our child so when we see a child having the problem that we had it cuts so deep and we react differently but i i know that uh, like a lot of times if it's something i'm comfortable about it's like oh no problem we'll just work through it but when it's the thing that cuts deep you just freeze and you're like Oh my God, if I knew how to solve this, I wouldn't be where I am today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you're kind of talking about before. It's like, you know, we, we want to give the kids the thing that was missing in us or mm-hmm. anything that makes us feel uncomfortable. We kind of like do the overparenting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or, Dr. Shafali, or run from it depending on. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah Dr. I'll Shafali give you a, a really sort of sad example. When my daughter was three, she was in this daycare, and I did not grow up with this kind of um, suburban mother who made play dates, you know? (laughs) Um, I grew up with a suburban mother who didn't get along with the other mothers, so I had this terror of that. So I tried to make play date for my daughter, and I said something wrong and this mother flew off the handle at me and it threw me back to my <sighs> childhood and I was like oh my god I don't know how to do this play date thing mm-hmm. you know and so probably I I didn't maybe try as hard as I could have <laughs> yeah you know just to take a different spin on it it's almost like you created the thing that you were most afraid of exactly. like you actually exactly had that because that was the experience that you needed to have to maybe just see that and heal that part of you. Yeah. And And um, then of course there are other people who go to the other extreme and they get too involved in their child's play dates. And so we all have our old circuits. Yeah. Yeah. I I was talking to someone the other day and I said, it's amazing because like parenting is one of these things that I just got very clear that I just don't know. 
like like the, the early on i was like here's the thing i'm just gonna play like beginner's mind don't know what i'm doing constantly and what that's open and, and luckily my wife's on board so we we're like clear that we don't know what we're doing it's like this <laughs> it's like a tightrope act right where every time you kind of feel like oh this is good i got it like the wind comes and you're like oh okay you know it's like throws you off balance and i'm sure from everyone i've spoken to it just yeah. continues to happen. Like you think we'll look at each other and be like, wow, we're really nailing this parenting thing. And then like a week later, the rules change. And like, okay, here we go again. It's but so it's nice that you're on the same team though. There's nothing yeah. more precious than that. Yeah. And it really is. It's like, you know, we, we've just both agreed that we're going to constantly stay open to learning and growing with the kids instead of just being like, this is how we're going to parent and da, 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 because they're evolving and like what yeah, worked. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even saying a year ago, like literally like two months ago, doesn't work today because they're in a constant state of evolution. Yeah. yeah. But I, but what what I find many... super interesting. It's like, no matter how well placed your intentions are, you're going. So if it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my child feels safe and supported and I'm going to do everything to make them feel safe and supported. But then to like what you were saying, Loretta, it's you do that, but then they grow up and they have no independence because like whatever your intention here skewed that there. And it's like everything has a, a gift and a shadow to everything. And it doesn't matter what you choose to do. Like your child's still going to grow up, still have things to deal with, still have things that they're going to need to reprogram and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just give yourself that freedom to know you're going to do the best you can. And they're still going to have to do their own work as they grow up. And that's just like something that we've kind of taken on. And you need to not over-invest in every one of their ups and downs because then you're really burdening them with like the weight of all your happiness and unhappiness. Yes. But yes. the huge thing is for parents to be on the same team because often parents are like, uh, like they, it's called triangulating where it's like mm. they subtly let the kid know like you and I you know, they're on the same team as the kid in opposition to the other parent. Hmm. And then the other parent is like, yeah, it, they don't, the kid doesn't see the parents as a team and they divide and conquer and that's a disaster. And yet yeah. it's very common. Yeah. And, and there's also, I think kids learn 99% from what they see, not from exactly. what you tell them anyway. So it's exactly. like, how they see you operating as a couple, how they see you operating with friends, your parents, et cetera. Like that's what they're actually programming and going like, oh, that's what it looks like to be a husband and wife. Oh, that's what it looks like to be a son and father. So a lot of parents get stuck on like, I'm going to tell them all the right things, but then you treat your husband or wife like complete shit. And you're like, yes. that's what they're going to grow up to be. Yes, exactly. And that's because of mirror neurons, which yeah. is explained in the book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's my last question. And by the way, thank you so much for sharing this with me. It's just been absolutely awesome. I'm a big meditator. Uh, I'm a big proponent of meditation. And when I read the part about dopamine, specifically dopamine, like that you mentioned before about dopamine kind of sends that signal like, yes, go get that, right? I, I think you even used maybe the word like bloodhound or something, or it's kind of like this, I don't know if I wrote that, you wrote that, but but yeah, I didn't write Bloodhound, but I don't so I was kind of thinking like, is it possible 
through meditation, right? I talked to, about like creating safety and support. So one of the things that, that really is a big thing in my life is peace and ease, like creating more peace and ease in my life. I'm curious through meditation and like having that dopamine release and stuff like that. Is it possible to train our brain to focus on seeking out, creating more peace and ease in our lives and be like, Hey, go get me that type of situation. Does that make sense? So I'm totally for peace and ease, but I part company with a lot of spiritual beliefs because they have this idea that seeking is somehow wrong and you should train yourself to not seek. Mm. And I think that's a recipe for depression. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So my view is, so always returning to the animal perspective, what would make an animal happy is not, I don't need anything, but is I can get what I need. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like right now I'm not hungry, but when I need food and I look for it, I will be able to get it. So it's confidence in my own skills. And it's the same thing with a herd or a tribe is that I don't want to be surrounded by a herd every minute, but when I need social support and I look for it, I expect that I will be able to get it. So it's positive expectations. And we talked about the idea of realistic expectations is what enables them to be positive. And we talked about personal agency, which is the confidence in your own ability to meet your needs with realistic expectations about your needs. So is it possible to train yourself to realize that you'll have those needs met with ease? That you, yes. But when you, again, when you say have those needs met, that's sort of passive. So I think it's good to train yourself to think I will have the skills that I need to meet my needs as they occur. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Awesome. Okay, cool. So uh, thank you so much, Loretta, for for being here with us and sharing this wisdom. Uh, Like I said, guys, the book Habits of Happy Brain is available on Amazon. There's also an audio book. It is fantastic. Loretta, where can people find about about you, about your books, what you're launching next? Sure. So my website is innermammalinstitute.org, innermammalinstitute.org. And there's information about all my books and also lots of free resources, including a five-day happy chemical jumpstart, which gives you uh, one whole message on each of the four chemicals and then one on how to rewire them. A very short, obvious introduction. And then I have lots of videos and podcasts and other resources for people who don't like to read much. (laughs) And I have a parent teacher page with, I have an animation for kids and I have a draft of the teen version of the book, which I have to say that no teens have actually read because of all the teens that agreed to be in my focus group, none of them read it. So I'm still on the drawing board on that one, but I decided to invest my effort in making more videos rather than writing for teens. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to put this out there to our audience because I know our audience um, are parents that have teenagers. And I know that I've spoken to some of you that have like very uh, gifted and I don't want to say gifted, but like kids that love to read and learn, et cetera. So if you do... Uh, I'm sure Loretta would love to connect with yes. you and, and possibly have them read this. 
Uh, and then for, for everybody else out there, yeah, definitely go check out. We'll have the link in the show notes as well. Um, Loretta, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your wisdom. Sure. Thanks for putting together this great audience. Bye. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next uh, podcast. Have an amazing day. I really hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation as much as we did delivering it. And as always, thank you for your continued loyal support and your listening. Now, if you haven't already done so, please make sure you go to Facebook right now and request to join our amazing private group. It's called Personal Development Without the Fluff. It is a quickly growing community with amazing souls and amazing support. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, I can absolutely guarantee that you will love that group. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you head to satoriprime.com forward slash my Satori, you can grab that latest 90 minute mind expanding training for free. So go grab a notepad, a drink and buckle up for that one amazing ride. And until next time, have an amazing day, my friend. We look forward to personally connecting with as many of you as possible and seeing how Satori Prime can help you achieve your dreams today.